Our first scripture reading this morning is from the first chapter of the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, beginning on page 180 in the New Testament of your pew Bible. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward a redemption, as God's own people, to the praise of his glory. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all saints, and for this reason I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what it is, the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us to believe, according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the ages to come. And he has put all things under his feet and made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. The Gospel according to Luke, the sixth chapter, beginning with the 20th verse. Then Jesus looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice on that day, and leap for joy. For surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is how your ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. But I say to you who are listening, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And for anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give 
to everyone who asks of you. And if anyone takes away what is yours, do not ask for it back again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. In the strange windings of the clock, you have given to us an extra hour this weekend, O Lord, when in reality the hours that you give to us are actually the same. It's just the way we count them that has shifted. Give us the kind of hearts that count every hour as precious. Every hour is a gift from you. And so then, in every moment, we may be fully awake to your word. In Christ's name, amen. As I mentioned at the top of our service today, this is our All Saints Sunday, as we recognize those who have gone before and as we celebrate our kinship, our common union with them. But I think before we continue with the understanding of the celebrations, it would be useful for us to have some keen understanding of what the word saint means. In our epistle reading, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. And for this reason, I do, not give, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my pray- prayers. Paul's thanksgiving for the church in Ephesus is rooted in their reported love for all the saints. So, if we're commended to love the saints, then what's a saint? Um, let me give you a little For those who are listening here, to the audio version of here. this service, it's important at this time to note that the pastor has moved from the pulpit to behind uh, the communion rate. table cool. and has picked up the communion cup to make an illustration. This cup. It's set aside, right? It is... Sacred. It is something we use in the rites of communion. Sacra comes from the Latin word meaning to sacrifice, set apart for special use, for given use. It is actually, uh, chalice is the word we use for it. Chalice, it's, it's old French. Uh, the word chalice actually means drinking bowl. Um, but somewhere in the late Middle Ages, they put drinking bowls on pedestals. Uh, it was a smart move, because when you drink out of a bowl, its top is lower, and so you need both hands. The chalice can be picked up with one hand. But we give it a special importance by calling it the old French word. If you want to make something sound important, always use the French. Don't use the Germanic. It's a chalice, not a cup. Now, we put this not in the kitchen downstairs off of Fellowship Hall. That way it might accidentally get used for a Texas pizza party and be filled with, I don't know, Gatorade? No, we keep it in a special cabinet off of Westminster Hall in Westminster Kitchen. Why? Because it's special. It's for sacred use. A chalice. But I want to show you another chalice, another drinking the bowl. The pastor reaches behind him and picks up this a coffee This is the cup I use for mug. my morning coffee. It is also very special. 
It's special to me. It was a gift from my wife. It says on it, you're the man. It was a gift, and that was meant to be a big joke. <laughs> but it is special to me. Why is it special to me? Well, not only because it was a gift from my wife, but it is also perfectly balanced with the handle. Uh, it, it, is, it is porcelain, and it's thick, and so it keeps my coffee hot while I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to say during my sermon on Sunday mornings. In fact, I didn't even rinse it out this morning. It still hmm, smells of coffee. What makes this special is not that it is set apart for occasional use. What makes this cup special is that it is used every single day by me. It is not mundane. It is my coffee cup. And Danny knows not to use my coffee cup, as I know not to use her coffee cup. Hers is kind of dainty and light, so I don't like it on my hand anyway. You can't get multiple fingers in the hook. You can just use one, and you have to keep your pinky balanced. It's, it's not a special cup like this is a very special cup. <laughs> now, this is an important distinction in how I think we perceive the notion of saints set aside for occasional use for sacrifice set aside for special use because of who it belongs to whose it is in our gospel reading Jesus talks about those who are blessed blessed are those who we might call saints but he doesn't speak of those who are set apart by their esteemed qualities not not the holy prophets, not the holy priests, not the one who've taken vows to be apart from the rest of the world and untainted by everyday Gatorade use, but is speaking of those who live in the real world on a daily basis, ordinary circumstances. He speaks of those who can love their enemies. Not because they're detached, but because they're in the thick of it. Not because the world has set them apart, but because God has claimed them as God's own. Now, I understand as a preacher, I'm not supposed to get political, and I really do try, but several months ago, the son of a prominent politician was addressing a gathering of followers and said these words, We've turned the other cheek. And I understand that's some sort of biblical reference. I understand the mentality. But it's gotten us nothing. Well, when a politician quotes Jesus, I have to tell you, they've wandered into my lane. <laughs> and so the underlying political issue is not completely my concern. But when you quote, turn the other cheek, and use it as something you're dismissing, you're not really understanding what Jesus was trying to communicate. Now, let me give a little context and background. In the ancient Middle East, as it is still true in the Middle East today, one uses one's left hand for unclean activities, and one uses the right hand for clean activities. If you go to an Indian restaurant and you eat with your hand, you use your right hand and your left hand rests on your lap. 
But striking someone on the cheek is to show a social difference. I'm your better, and there's nothing you can do about it. So how do I strike you? I strike you with my left hand across your right cheek. You can picture it, right? Swat. I am announcing my superiority to you, and you, in subservience, are receiving the hit because you are my lessor. When you turn the other cheek, in other words, you have been smacked in the right cheek, and now you present your left cheek, have two options. One, if I want to hit you again, I can hit you with my open left hand. But an open-handed strike was a challenge of a duel or a wrestling match to an equal. If I use backhand, you're less than me. If I use open hand, you are my equal and I challenge you to put up your dukes. Or I can hit you with my backhand, but now I have to use the hand that I touch only clean things with and I've already announced that you are unclean and I'm in a quandary. I can hit you again, treat you as an equal, or I can hit you again and corrupt myself. Turning the other cheek leaves the attacker in the position of having to think about what they have done. Turn the other cheek, it's not weakness. It's exposing to the aggressor that they have a choice to either recognize the equality of your relationship or to corrupt themselves in the act of disgust. Likewise, when Jesus says, if somebody asks for your coat, go ahead and give them your shirt, right? Now you're getting nervous, aren't you? <laughs> That's the point. Exposing one's nakedness to another puts them in the position of having to avert their gaze. If they look upon your nakedness, the corruption is not to the person who has been stripped. It is to the person who is looking. So Jesus said, if someone takes your coat, let them face the full consequences of what they're about to do. Strip off your shirt, and then they will need to avert your gaze. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus also says, if someone asks you to carry their armor one mile, carry them two. That had to do with the code of legionnaires, of Roman legionnaires. They were allowed in any oppressive context to tell anyone on the street to say, I'm a soldier, you're a civilian, I'm higher class, you're low class, you have to carry my armor one mile. But the code was literally only one mile. When you got past the post, then the relationship was over. You'd shown your subordinates, and the soldier would either need to find someone else or carry their own armor. And Jesus says, no, no, c carry it too. The legionnaire then could be disciplined by his commander for exploiting the locals. Curious. Jesus' commands to turn the other cheek, to go the second mile, to give your shirt also, are all commands that are exposing an underlying equality, a radical equality, expressed through 
straightforward nonviolence of doing more than the exploiter is asking. I'd humbly suggest that the politician who decided that turning the other cheek was diminutive reconsider what Jesus attempts. In Scripture, the saints were the ones who were different. The underlying word that Paul uses is hagios, hagios, which in Greek simply means different. Not the Latin sacra, meaning set apart, but hagios, meaning unexpected. When he walked into the museum last week when we dedicated it, and he went downstairs, it was unexpected, wasn't it? A space set apart, not as somehow sanctified and holy, but as unexpected, telling us about the saints that have gone by and the past of which we are in intimate relationship. The saints, Jesus said, were the ones that every day would go about loving their enemies, praying for them, turning the other cheek, giving their shirt to, go on the second mile, mundane, every morning kinds of things. The sort of stuff that in the hands of God makes us God's special, saintly. Paul prayed that the church in Ephesus would gain wisdom and revelation with the eyes of enlightened hearts, knowing the hope of the glorious rich inheritance of those who were different because he understood that all of the temporal differences of class and money and race and society and culture were completely trivialized in the face of the eternal power of God. Paul writes, far above every rule and authority, every class distinction, every cultural behavior, every piece of etiquette, beyond that power and dominion, that at the name of Christ, above every name, not only in this age, but the age to come. He has put all things under his feet and has made him head over all things in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We tend to think of being saints as somehow being special, reserved, set aside occasional. That's not what Jesus was asking at all. Jesus was asking for us to be in the thick of it, but to be so as God's own. Amen. Please stand and let us join in the communion psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want.